On Friday, my wife and I were sitting at a coffee shop. Um, it's our typical pattern of life on Fridays is to slow down, take the day together, and we hit coffee shops around the area. And so we're sitting and having coffee, uh, discussing the things that we you know, need to do around our house and those, uh, those projects that we have coming up. And she decided that she wanted to try and find a desk. And so we thought, okay, well, where are some flea markets? And so we begin to kind of like look up where are some flea markets and we saw that there was one in Washington, Missouri, and so, you know, why not? Let's drive to Washington, Missouri. And so we, we took the trip down to Washington to a flea market that I had found. And so we pull up to this flea market. It's an old home, basically, and there is just stuff everywhere. Uh, some things are priced, some things aren't, and you walk through and you kind of have to dig. I don't know if anyone ever goes to flea markets, antique things. My wife and I love doing that. So we kind of dig through, and there's three floors, and we go through it. And really, it's, it's a lot of junk. Um, And and that's the fun thing, is to to search through the junk and try and find something that has value, either financially or value to us. And so we look around, and we didn't find anything. And then across the street, there is another store that says Antiques. And so we look through the flea market, we don't find anything, and then we make our way over to the Antiques store. And the Antiques store was very different. Uh, You walk in, and everything is very clean and organized, and right in front of us is a huge chest that was priced around $2,500. And I told Heather, I was like, I think we're in the wrong place. Um, but we, we continued to, to look around for a few minutes. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And the guy comes up and begins talking to us. And he says he's one of the last places in the area that restores antique furniture. And it's beautiful. And so we, we kind of just appease him and kind of look around. And then we kind of go behind this wall and we find these chairs, which is one of the things we were looking for. And there's a sign that says... $10 a, a chair, two for two, or $15 a chair, two for 25 And so we're like, oh, this is great. There's four chairs. Let's see about getting these chairs. And so I, I holler for the guy to come over, and I say, hey, we, we like these chairs. Are these also priced at the, the $15 and $25? He says, oh, no, 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 no. Those are $350 for the four chairs. Yeah, yeah that's what I did, too. I kind of gave a laugh, and uh, I thought, okay, are you missing a zero? Is that $35? You said that wrong. And he said, oh, let me, let me tell you about these chairs. He begins to describe them. And in that moment, what he's telling me is those chairs have value. That's what he's saying. And he's giving a, a, a dollar to the value of those chairs. And so uh, Heather and I quickly made our way out of the, the antique shop and, and left. And I was thinking, we're in this series. We're looking at this really short letter called Finally. And in this letter, what's happening is a man finds his value. Uh, he was a slave. He was a runaway slave. He comes in contact with this guy named Paul, and in this moment, his life changes. He begins to see who he really is and who he's been created to be, and Paul is assigning value to this guy named Onesimus. Paul's going to send Onesimus back to his owner uh, with a request. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible around you uh, somewhere. We'd love for you to have that. That's our gift um, to you. It's our gift to you. Uh, and the, the page number will be on the screen there. I'm going to read this again. If you were here last week, uh, I read this and we went almost all the way through it and we got to the point where Paul makes this request and then we're going to look really at two um, verses today. Um, two verses and then we're going to end by baptizing a few uh, kids. It says this, Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Right here, just quickly, we talked about this last week. Uh, Paul has an experience with Philemon at some point, stays connected to Philemon, and Philemon begins to build this reputation. The church is meeting at his home. He loves the church. He loves the people in his area, and his reputation precedes him. This is the reason Paul is able to write this letter to Philemon is because of the reputation of Philemon. And I challenged you last week just to begin to look. What what does your reputation look like? Specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus, what do people think about you? Would someone be able to come and make a request that's being made to Philemon? It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so you'll have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in change. This is a spiritual son. Paul sees himself as Onesimus' spiritual father. They have this meeting uh, in this jail where, again, Onesimus' life is changed. Paul was one of those guys who couldn't couldn't quit talking about Jesus. Maybe you know those kind of people. Uh, And he did it in a way, I believe, that just drew people to the heart of God and to the love of God and to recognize the need of grace. So this is what happens in Onesimus Verse 11 says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is, a very, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Just really, really quickly, last week we looked at this phrase, um, about doing the right thing even when it's the hard thing, right? We, we want to do the right thing even when it's hard. There's difficult decisions that need to be made because it's what's best and it's what's right, but it may not be easy. Uh, Onesimus going back was hard. Uh, we talked about this last week. Onesimus was a slave. It was different in that day than what we experienced, the horrendous slavery we've seen in our own country. It's different than that. Um, There were many people who offered themselves into it. They needed to make a living. They needed a place to stay. Some people were born into it. Uh, Onesimus, for whatever reason, ran from it 
and was not supposed to. And so Onesimus is going back as a fugitive. Although his life has been changed, he's going back to the person who has every right to punish him. And he's being sent back. And so that, that long walk back would be difficult, but it, it is what was right. Paul asking Philemon to do this is difficult. I mean, Philemon has every right to punish him. Culture said to, the government said to, everything would say punish Onesimus for the decisions that he has made. And Paul knows how difficult it is, but he makes that request. And then Philemon. Philemon's going to be put in a position where he's going to decide the future of Onesimus. And he's going to have to make the decision of, do I do the right thing, even though it may be the hard thing? And so I encourage you, there's some of you who need to do the right thing. You need to do what's best. You need to have that conversation. You need to, to break the, the binds and the, the chains of addiction. And it's one step at a time. And it's hard. But, but just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not right. And then I already said we see this reputation of Philemon. This is the reason Paul is even asking to do it because he knows who Philemon is. Paul knows the reputation and says, I'm going to be able to ask this of you because I know your heart. And the request that's being made is that Philemon would be compassionate. Just real quickly, we, we use these terms sympathy, to be sympathetic towards someone. That means to understand what they're feeling. You know, I understand that you're hurt. I understand that things didn't go as you wanted them to go. That's, that's sympathy. Sympathy is usually from a distance. Um, and then you have empathy. Empathy is to feel what they're feeling. Yeah, I, I know what that feels like. I understand not only the knowledge of what you're going through, but internally, I, I know what that feels like. That is empathy. Empathy, as Brene Brown, uh, author and psychologist says, never begins with, well, at least. That's not empathy. Might be sympathy. I know you're upset. Well, at least, right, you could fill in the blank. Someone lost their job. Well, at least you had a job. Right? That's that not empathy. Empathy does not begin, well, at least. Empathy is to truly feel what someone else is feeling. And then compassion. This is another step. That This is a step that we see taken by Jesus often. Compassion is a willingness to relieve some of the suffering and pain. Sympathy is I understand. Empathy is I feel. And compassion is what can I do about it? What, what steps can I take to help with your pain? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through uh, 4, this is again Paul, he's writing to a church in Corinth. He says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the founder of compassion. It was his idea, this is who he is, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God has been compassionate to you. The response is, well, then how can I be compassionate to other people? I've experienced God relieving the suffering and my pain. Well, what can I do to help relieve the suffering and pain of someone else? This is what Paul is asking of Philemon. Would you not just be sympathetic? Would you not just have empathy for what Onesimus has gone through? But could you have compassion for him? I gave you a quote from Greg Boyle. Here's another one. He's a Jesuit priest in L.A., works with uh, gang members uh, in L.A. He is pulling them off of the street. He is educating them. He's training them, bakery, screen pressing. Uh, it's, 
unbelievable. He has a book called Tattoos on the Heart. And this is what he says, one of the things he says about compassion and who Jesus is. He says, the strategy of Jesus is not centered in taking the right stand on issues, but rather in standing in the right place with the outcast and those relegated to the margins. If you haven't read the Gospels and if you haven't read much about the life of Jesus, oftentimes Jesus was being condemned. A lot of times Jesus was hated because of the place he was standing. Right? The religious leaders wanted him to stand in a certain place on issues. But what we see in the life of Jesus is that he stood with the outcasts. He stood with those relegated to the margins, and he showed compassion to them. We find ourselves there today. We find ourselves with lots of issues and lots of things going on, and for some of you, maybe you feel like you need to take a right stand on issues, but I think the encouragement for us that we see Philemon asking, being asked of by Paul is that he wouldn't just do the right thing according to other people, that he wouldn't stand in the right place according to other people in the issues. Again, Government, everyone would have been fine if he would have just even taken the life of Onesimus. But Paul is saying, Philemon, I know, I know what the right thing is according to everyone else, but would you just stand in the right place? Would you stand next to Onesimus as he comes back? Onesimus, yes, he did wrong. He's broken. He's asked for forgiveness, and I'm sending him back to you. Would you receive him back? Not, not only would you just take him back in, but would you restore him? Would you restore him? But how? Right, we, we know that there, there's crimes and someone's got to pay for those crimes. And this is what I want to look at today. What, what does Paul do? Verse 17. He says this, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul would have been a rock star. Uh, when Paul came in, they would have killed the fattened calf they would have probably thrown a party as Paul enters back into a community or a place and he says I know what you would do for me if I came back I know how you would welcome me because you look up to me and you care for me would you do that for Onesimus would you welcome him as you welcome me verse 18 it says this if he has done you any wrong which he had and Paul knew it but if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything charge it to me I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Paul says, look, I, I know he stole from you. Onesimus would have told Paul everything he did, and Paul knows the wrong that had been done. And so Paul says, look, I know someone needs to pay. I'll pay. Just let me know what I owe you. I I'm good for it. And then he makes a statement, I'm writing this with my own hand. A lot of Paul's letters would have been transcribed by someone else. A lot of this letter may have been transcribed by someone else. But Paul says, this is so important. Hand me the pen. G give me the pen. This is one of the most important things I could say to anyone right now. Give me the pen. And he takes the pen and he says, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll pay for it. And it's in this moment we see Paul putting on display who Jesus is. That Jesus knows there needs to be a payment made. And Jesus says, I'll pay for it. I'm good for it. I'll take care of the payment because someone has to pay and often it doesn't make sense some of you have heard this story uh, I was in college and I was playing basketball in our gym 
And Heather and I were dating at the time, and Heather comes into the gym, and she says, hey, your mom's trying to get a hold of you. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll, I'll call her back later. And she's like, no, 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 I, I think you need, to, you need to talk to your mom. And so I go out, and I get on the phone with my mom, and my mom says, um, there's someone here looking for you. And I'm thinking, okay, I haven't lived in Oklahoma City for almost four years. What, who's looking for me? And she was like, they said there's a search or there is a warrant for your arrest. And I'm thinking, they are looking for me, and I'm not coming in, right? And so she says, uh, did you get a ticket a couple of weeks ago? And I'm like, oh, man, so young people, you'll always be found out. Um, and so I had gotten a ticket. I got a ticket coming to Oklahoma City. I got a ticket for speeding and an illegal lane change. And so the guy gave me two tickets and wrote two different dates on the tickets. And I only saw the last date, not the first date. And so I hadn't paid my ticket. And so there was a warrant for my arrest. And so not only did I have to deal with my mom being upset because I had gotten a ticket and not told her, now there was a judge in Oklahoma City who was looking for me. And so she said that I needed to call the judge. And you know this, that the judge holds all the power, right? And they, they hold the power. They get to decide what's going to happen. And so I call the judge. And the first thing the judge says is, where are you so I can come get you? And I said, well... I don't feel comfortable telling you where I'm at right now. I said, actually, I'm about, you know, five to six hours away, and I am in college, and, and here's what happened. And this is what the judge said. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm going I'm to take the, the ticket off the table. You don't have to worry. There's no warrant now for your arrest. I, the judge is going to decide what the punishment looks like, and that judge decided to wipe it all clean. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, Philemon, I know you have the power. Would you not abuse it? Would you, would you use this power actually to do good? Would you restore and I'll pay for it? Whatever he stole, just tell me I am good for it. Again, he's putting on display the heart of God, the life of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, so that we, may be, that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We, we all need to be healed. Like You may not know that, you may feel that, and you might be looking for all kinds of things to bring healing to your life. But can I just encourage you what I believe? I believe that true healing comes from God and God alone. Amen. It comes through the work of Jesus. And this is what Onesimus experienced in a jail cell with uh, Paul. And this is what Paul is relaying back to Philemon. And then this is, this is uh, where, where we'll end this morning. He says this, I'll pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Here's what's happening. There's, there's not a lot of detail, and I read some people way smarter than me, some, uh, some scholars who talks about um, Philemon probably lived a rough life. Like Philemon when was in a position of power, and he probably abused that power. 
uh, he had slaves and maybe he wasn't kind to his slaves. And we talked about this last week. The Gospels are full of examples from Jesus in that setting how a master should take care of his slaves and his employees really is what, what's happening here, right? So we, we talked about how that looks different than what we experienced, the shameful things we experienced in our, in our own country. And so Onesimus may have been a hard man, a rough life, and at some point he has an encounter with Paul. And Paul, in that encounter, tells him about Jesus. And Philemon's life has changed. And so Paul's almost saying, hey, do you remember? Do you remember your old life? Do you, do you remember that time we had the conversation and we talked about who you were, but you didn't have to be that anymore? And we talked about how you needed to be healed and how in that moment God healed you because of Jesus. Do you remember that, uh, uh, Philemon? You, you, you even owe me your very life. So the response that he's trying to get him to see is, look, you have experienced God's grace. And so the response would be then to give that grace back out. The expectation is that Philemon would be excited because he hears about a young man who also had lived a rough life, experiencing the grace of God. Paul says, don't forget the forgiveness that you once found. And he leaves it in Philemon's hands. So three things really quick. Big ideas that I want you to take away this morning. We are Onesimus, right? We are Onesimus. Uh, we've been on the run. We have done wrong. We have run maybe from God. We have run from people. We have hurt or we have wounded. We have avoided people. We have been on the run. And some of you have experienced the grace of God. Some of you have experienced the love of God and your life has been changed. But some of you maybe are still an Onesimus and you're still on the run. Uh, you're here today, uh, but you're, you are still running from God. You're running from God often because you think you know that God is angry at you, that he's disappointed in you. And so you think, all right, if I really own up to this, if I really begin to try and do this church thing, if I really try and pursue Jesus, man, God knows what I've done. And so we, we, we show up, but we don't show up, right? We, we physically are here, but our hearts, our souls, our minds are not released and exposed to the love of God. We run and we think, I'll figure it out on my own. Let, let me do right, let me get better, and then I'll come to God. And can I just tell you that you can't really run from God? I mean, that's the thing that I love about God is that God is always pursuing us, always after us. And it is loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It is not that he is angry or disappointed, but it is love that changes our lives. And so you too, who you have been, doesn't have to be who you will be. The struggle you've had in the past, the things that have been done to you that have hurt you, they don't have to have power over you anymore. So we are Onesimus, and then we get to decide. Will we respond like Onesimus has to the call of God, or will we continue to run? And then Jesus is the greater Paul, right? We don't worship Paul. Paul did a great thing in this moment. Uh, he is sending a contract back with Onesimus, and he is asking Philemon to receive it. But Jesus is the greater Paul. Jesus is who we worship. Paul is just living out what he saw in the life of Jesus. It is only by Jesus that we can be forgiven, made right, restored, healed, made whole. You, you'll never be good enough. Can I just help you with that? 
Like you'll never get to a place where you're like, okay, I think I've crossed over and now I'm good enough. Like never. Like wherever God finds you, where you're at now is the place that he finds you. And he pursues you and he wants you. And so it's in that place that we receive God's grace. Onesimus finds God in a jail cell. He's at his lowest point and finds grace and forgiveness. And not only that, but finds a new life and a different future. But no one will force you. God won't make you follow him. God won't make you respond to that grace. It's a response that we have. And then we're forgiven, and the response is to forgive. Now, what's interesting about this letter is we don't have a response for Philemon. We don't see a letter back to Paul. Uh, We don't have a letter about what happened to Onesimus after this. It just kind of ends. And I'd love to have a Philemon 2.0. Like, I'd love to know what what happens. But, But I don't think this letter is just a Philemon. I think it's kind of this, have you seen those, I, th- I think they're like a, an open letter, just, you know, two people. I think that's kind of what this is. Like, I wonder if we could put our name where Philemon is. That maybe this letter isn't just about Philemon's response, but it's about our response as well. H- how will we respond to the people around us? How will we receive people? How can we be compassionate towards people? How can we celebrate when people's lives begin to change, even though their life isn't exactly what you want it to be in that moment? Because I'm going to guess that Onesimus is still rough. Like his language might be rough. The decisions he's going to make when he comes back to Philemon may not be the best. Philemon's not fixed in that jail cell. He's saved, he's forgiven, but he's not fixed. Right? And so how do we respond? How do we walk with people? How do we view our own lives when we're figuring out what it means to follow Jesus? I want to end with this story uh, of Jesus. It's found in Luke 7, and he's eating with religious leaders uh, when a woman with shady character, uh, a shady character enters the room and starts to kiss Jesus' feet, washes his feet with her tears, and he wipes them with her, wipes them with her uh, hair and then pour, pours oil on the feet of Jesus. And the religious people, which often the religious people do, they go crazy. And they begin to question, does Jesus even know who this woman is? There is no way Jesus is who he says he is. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, he knows who this woman is, and there's no way that this woman would be touching him. There's no way that Jesus would be in that place with that woman. Back to the beginning, It wasn't that Jesus was in the right, uh, thought the right things always about issues, but he found himself in the right place. And he finds himself with this woman, and he knows what they're talking about. And so Jesus asks them. He talks about forgiveness. And he says, which which one loves him more, the, the one who is forgiven much or forgiven little? And he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? He said, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. 
There's not a measure of the amount of forgiveness that people respond. It is completely forgiven. But I think what Jesus is emphasizing here is those who see their forgiveness as just a little, you'll love little. But if you are overwhelmed, if you are almost surprised at times by the grace of God, then our response should be great love and great forgiveness and great compassion. This is what Paul is asking of Philemon and I believe is what he's asking of us. That we, specifically, if you've experienced the grace of God, this great grace, that you would freely give it away. That you would freely give it away. And that you would be a person of compassion. Well, we have two young people who have recognized this in their own lives. They've seen the grace of God and the love of God. And the response for them this morning is to celebrate that with us. So we're going to baptize these two kids. I'm going to ask you not to leave here in just a moment. Greg's going to come up. He's going to play our final song as I change really quick. And uh, we'll get into this uh, little pool and we'll baptize a couple people. Let me read this for you. It says, Christian baptism is a, a sacrament signifying participation by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus in the incorporation into his body, the church. It is a means of grace proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is a public declaration by Lily and Haley saying that this is what they believe. The Apostle Paul declares that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death, buried with him through baptism, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too are raised to walk in newness of life. As we have been united with him in his death, we also may be united with him in his resurrection. And so I'm going to ask them a couple of things when they get in the water. I've asked them already, and so you may not be able to hear me. And so would you just know that I'm asking them if they want to be baptized into the Christian faith, that what we've talked about is what they believe and they've put their trust in God. I'm going to ask them if they acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Do they believe that he loves them and that he saves them? And that as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask them if they'll follow him all the days of their life, growing in grace and the love of God and neighbor, and they will respond with yes, and then we will baptize them. And then that is where you come in, and you will celebrate and cheer and clap for the decision these two young people have made. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll sing our song. Please don't leave. This is a great way to support. We talk about our young people. It's a great way for them to see the support that they have sitting out here to celebrate the decisions that they have made. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today and thank you for the grace that you have shown us. Uh, I'm thankful, as great as Paul is, um, that, that he's not you. Uh, I'm thankful that we have you on our behalf. We have the great judge who pays the price and that we are free and forgiven. God, would you help us to live that out in our daily lives? Would you help us to work hard to be compassionate towards people? Uh, would, you, would you help us not to just stand in the right place as we think about issues um, but, but would you help us to stand with people, people who are often in the margins, outcast, hurt, and broken. Help our love to be shown to every person that we come in contact with. God, would this be a great moment uh, for Lily and Haley as we celebrate the decision they're making to follow you? And would you help us as the church to come alongside of them and to help them on this decision? We pray in Jesus' name.